You are listening to the Wannabe Collective, your new variety podcast featuring every fandom that you could possibly think of. On the Wannabe Collective, all wannabes are welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the show. You are listening to Keeping It Real, featured on the Wannabe Collective, of course. And of course, it's under, you know, the the production umbrella of Wannabe Critic Productions. If, you're, if this is your first time here, if you're watching us on YouTube, consider subscribing. It would seriously mean a lot. Tonight, we are going to be uh, reviewing the 2013 movie Skyfall. Uh, this is, uh, this is a big one, guys. Today I have with me, um, Caleb Henley, who's usually with me, of course. Uh, and then, of course, we have the returning Bond aficionado, Guy Mace, is back, uh, on the show as well. So, gentlemen, how are we feeling tonight? Feeling good, man. I'm excited to be here. This is gonna be fun. Yeah. Guy, you're, you're looking different. There's something different about you. What's, uh... Is it my hair? Oh I yeah, did. that's what that's what it is. Yeah, it's your hair. You were just going on and on off mic about how much you love your hair, how sad you were to chop it off, you know, all that jazz. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just I was kidding. gonna say it was his bracelets. <laughs> oh no, those, those, yeah. those are, wow! You guys are just really calling me out. Uh, hey, my, my bracelets and my fascination with my hair. I tell you. Hey, I'm pretty obsessed with my hair too, so it, it's okay. It, it is what it is. But no, the no. back. The reason why I was mentioning that is because I had that long hairstyle for literally seven or eight years and i got tired of it man i just cut it all off i went i went full-blown caleb style and um i gotta be honest it's great i'm liking it's great man easy the messier it gets the cooler it looks you know it's just the way it is yeah i uh my favorite haircut of all time no matter what i weigh it's always been (laughs) shaving my head that's literally my favorite haircut ever like you just wake up you're done you know what i mean you're just you're done I would not take it that far. Like, I'm all for having a short haircut, but I wouldn't take it that far. Caleb, you if should I, try it. If I had a buzz head, I would look it, not good. <laughs> I have a certain word in my head, and I'm not going to say yeah, it. Yeah, you can't say anything anymore because nothing is socially acceptable anymore. So we can't make jokes, can't call each other names, you know, can't hurt each other's feelings. So This is, uh, a, very, this is a very woke Podcast. This is a woke podcast. It is. Yes. Just, it is. We're not going to. Well, you know. What I was going to say, though, before we get too woke, uh, <laughs> Gabe, I've never heard anybody say something about and then include the phrase, no matter what I weigh mm. or no matter yeah. what my weight. Is. Yeah, that, that that's that's I've never heard that before. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> depending on what I weigh, I can look like a completely different person. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. yeah. Okay. And with a shaved head, I mean, you wouldn't even recognize me. So I just have, I'm like a chameleon. I blend in in various weights. So there you have it. And society. No, just kidding. Gentlemen, it's good to have you back. Uh, It's been a while since I sat down to do a podcast with anybody. I'm super excited to uh, be back behind the mic and in the chair. Um, Definitely check out our other shows, ladies and gents. We... We do this show called Keeping It Real. This is where we give our honest wannabes opinion on movies that we like to watch. <clears throat> usually usually we'll do a catch-up episode, but uh, I think this episode's probably actually going to be dropping in about a week or two. So, you know, we won't be talking about anything topical, you know, really, or, or really even just catching up at all. I mean, how are you guys doing okay? I mean, do you feel like you need to talk about your life and what you've been up to? Or are you ready to just, like, talk about 007 and his awesomeness? I want to dive um, in. Yeah, yeah, I want to dive. Let's just dive in. That's kind of how I feel too. I don't. I don't feel the need to just go on and on and on and on and on. I don't need to talk about how terrible the Chiefs are at football. Oh, oh God! Don't uh. even, oh God, Caleb. Why'd you have to? You immediately. Caleb went to the worst case scenario, like immediately of things to talk about. And <laughs> good Lord, dude, the rise and fall of the Chiefs. The they plateaued two years ago. What's happening? But no, Caleb, we'll give you an opportunity. It's, it's as if they don't know the football season has started yet. You know, they're just kind of messing around, you know, having fun. And they're like, oh, is the season started? Oh, yeah. Oh, it has. Oh, oops. Okay. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes keeps it, looking up in the air. He's all like, he's not sure if he's actually supposed to be playing or not. Um, but no, it's it's a sad. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> go ahead. I will say this, Caleb, and you maybe you notice this because I know you get very emotionally involved in the Chiefs. But um, I will say what irritated me about when they would do terrible is until this very last game where they just got annihilated. You would look on the sidelines, no matter how bad they were losing, and they're all smiling and laughing and enjoying life, having a good time. The last game, 
when they lost by 20, I don't know how many points it was. 24. Um, you actually saw it on their faces. They're like, oh, this is not good. This kind of sucks. Maybe we should change. And so that was the first time. So it was pivotal. But uh, yeah. that's all I'm going to say about the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I think that they'll get things somewhat righted. But it's uh, hasn't been as good. But same time, it's all making that Super Bowl that we had two years ago all the more sweeter because you realize just how incredible of a moment that was because you know what it's just it's really hard to sustain that for a long period of time so i'm going to savor those moments where we the three of us were all there in the same room together for that for that moment so that was was pretty cool That was pretty cool yeah that was cool and it's it's it is a special and it's here we are again in the same virtual room it's a i think what was it you called it caleb what's this episode it's a, a family affair, right? Oh, um, family affair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There we have it. Caleb looked at me like I was an idiot, uh, which I am. But you know, who's who's you know who's counting how many times I've messed up on this podcast? No, no matter no matter what weight. Yeah, no matter what weight, no matter what I weigh, <laughs> I'm always an idiot every time. <laughs> oh no, ladies and gents, we're super happy to be back here, though. Um, gentlemen, Skyfall. Uh, I got some hot takes about this movie. I was really excited for this one. Um, here's the thing about, about Daniel Craig as James Bond. I have a super duper hard time seeing anyone else as being as good. Um, period. Like he's kind of my favorite. Um, I've seen various Bond movies, you know, I think the closest, I think guy made a comment one time, Sean Connery is probably the one that comes the closest, but to me, this is like the best guy. I mean, he's, he is James Bond for me. Um, before we kind of get into the synopsis, do you guys feel similar? Like, how how does James Bond stack up on your Bond tier list? Craig is second to Connery for me. Um, and I feel like in this movie, like, he's kind of almost in a sense emulating Connery in some ways. But I think Connery's one for me. Like, no question. Yeah, the original is always um, difficult to unseat. Connery started it. Um, he is definitely, and you've heard me say it on this podcast before, he, Connery was the closest to Ian Fleming's um, construction of, of James Bond in, in literature, and he was awesome at it. You know, the, the thing with, with uh, Daniel Craig is he is awesome, and, and I do feel torn about the two, but what, what Daniel has that Connery didn't is he has modern technology, uh, cinematography, special effects. I mean, the quality of movies that uh, has existed. And, and again, Skyfall is perhaps the, the quintessential Daniel Craig movie thus far. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's why it's difficult. That's why we put Daniel Craig on the same level as Connery, at least I, I do, is because uh, the movies do help him get to that level. Uh, but yeah, Connery's hard to unseat. He's the original. So are we saying that Adam West is the best Batman? No, it's, <laughs> it's I'm, I'm joking. That's I'm kidding. I'm, I know. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. Um, yeah, no, I, I, this is my, this is my James Bond. Um, but Connor, I think Connery's second place for me. And I love this movie and it was interesting watching it this time back. And finding things that I don't think have aged well, particularly. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of talk about that. And I'm, it's going to be kind of hard to like actually articulate what I mean by, by that. But anyways, the synopsis of this movie is James Bond's loyalty to M is tested when her past comes back to haunt her. When MI6 comes under attack, 007 must track down and destroy the threat, no matter how personal the cost. Um, so I'm assuming we all like this movie, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, he's gone. I've had a feeling I, his internet's been spotty. There it is. Uh, we're having really bad storms so here. Far. We're having we're having really bad storms here, so that's probably why my internet's kind of okay. in and out. So gotcha. Freaking dumb. Anyways. I can assume that we all love this movie, though, correct? Yep, correct. Yeah. Um, 
so let's just kind of get into the process. Obviously, we kind of talked about uh, the the way I've always seen this movie is this is the natural kind of like top, you know, like the 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 crescendo has kind of made its way. And they could have ended Bond's reign here, I think, as James Bond, if they really had wanted to, um, because they would, have, you know, they would have left Spectre, the Spectre organization, kind of open to be expounded on by a different Bond potentially. I know there was talks for a while where that we weren't sure if Bond, if Daniel Craig was going to return as James Bond. Um, I think he even was in public, you know, he was uh, giving PR saying that Spectre would in fact be his last movie, which it wasn't. Um, I could be wrong on that. So definitely let me know if I am, but I feel like this is, this would have been a really good way to end kind of his reign as James Bond. And there's so many like just practical character moments here for him that kind of solidify his, his journey. And I think Guy has talked about it before as, you know, this is the only Bond that has a kind of a cohesive story and kind of has like a cohesive arc, you know, in his, in his movies. So what are kind of our like high points about Skyfall and you know just Daniel Daniel Craig's performance in general? Um, I'll I'll start off. I'll just uh, say I, I'm kind of glad that they went with a uh, kind of a standalone story instead of you know kind of tacking it on as a third movie in the Spectre kind of uh, trilogy. Instead, they saved that for Spectre, which I think is was good, especially since I think this movie was kind of a big deal because it was the 50th anniversary. Of bond right guy i think so yeah yeah so i think i think they may may have done that on purpose to where they wanted this one to stand out as being special and i think it works really good i like that it's a standalone story it's all kind of wrapped up um uh in its own little nice bow which is really good and it gives us a really good villain and i think craig is kind of at his best and i like how he's basically kind of limited in having to overcome his own limitations because of kind of how old he is and injured he is. And that's kind of carried through and he's having to overcome that the entire um, uh, movie. I, I like that. And it makes for some good uh, kind of character development throughout the movie too. Mm -hmm. So um, this is, I, I agree with you, Gabe, this is kind of a crescendo moment as far as the actual story itself. Um, it's incredible uh just the way they constructed this you know it, it, when i when i watched it again uh in preparation for this what what jumped out at me was the fact that they again like all of the daniel craig movies they really made an effort to um go back to um some of the old the old classical uh, sean connery days even roger moore days uh, in things. And, and, and for instance, uh, Money Penny, I, I love seeing her uh, really step up and, and take a role. And she's kind of introduced, obviously, in this movie. What's interesting is um, this is the only movie that I'm aware of where she's operational. You know, Money Penny's always a secretary in all the old movies. Uh, but, you know, Money Penny, you get a little bit of her backstory here. She didn't start as a secretary, she started as an actual field agent, which, you know, I didn't know that. Um, and so that, that was a pretty cool way to introduce that character into the uh, into the storyline. Um, the other thing I, I loved about this movie is how cleverly they introduced sort of the, the the reason why Silva did what he did, and that is because he was mad or uh, dissatisfied or hurt by M and and the way that M treated him as an agent, and that that happened. You saw that right at the very beginning. When, uh, let's see, I took a note. I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, oh, Ronson. So remember the opening scene when Bond comes in and he discovers his fellow agent has has a lethal wound and he wants to help him. And and M is like, no, you know, you need to go get that uh, that file that's been uh, potentially released and uh, about the different um, NATO agents out there. And, and Bond doesn't want to do that. So she's very cold in making that decision and telling Bond to abandon that guy, which, of course, we know dies. When, when Bond gets shot by, by Moneypenny. Again, that's a very cold decision by M. And that is the theme. That's the reason why Silva has a beef with M in this whole movie. So I really like the way that they introduced that conflict right at the beginning. And they were consistent with it throughout the, uh, the, throughout the story. I love that you mentioned Silva 
<clears throat> Caleb, did you want to say something? No, yeah, I just I love that too. I love the whole backstory, the uh, idea that he that Silva was an agent in Hong Kong and he started kind of going outside of his own um, of what he's supposed to do. He was spying on the Chinese, so M gave him up so that she could get six agents back and that they could have a, a peaceful transition of uh, the British giving Hong Kong back over to the Chinese. I thought that was I, it's such a quick little like uh, line, but it's really really good little espionage and it's real i mean it's rooted it's yeah, rooted very, in, yeah it actually happened yeah yeah it's rooted in reality which is really cool mm-hmm. um and yeah i love any villain that um is epic enough to where you can wait until an hour into the movie before you even introduce him and it still works is really really cool and it does it works he has so much personality that he does such a good job with the acting it's it's gr- it, it is absolutely fantastic and he's terrifying he's a terrifying villain and uh yeah i love it yeah i I love that you mentioned silva because to me that's my favorite part that's that's probably my favorite part of this movie in general you know when he pulls his mouthpiece out and he's like look upon your work mother you know chilling i remember i remember like my that being like a jaw-dropping moment for me in the theater i think i went and saw this movie like six times in theaters or something like that like i loved this movie and um you know, just his cunning and he knows the ropes. Right. And I love how, even though he and Bond are kind of in a similar situation, like they are objectively different in their, uh, you know, kind of journeys, you know, like Silva was evidently like, he probably wanted to do the right thing, but evidently he had kind of a personal connection with him, you know, enough so to where he felt, you know, hurt by, by M to, to, you know, to continue to, bear this resentment and stuff like that. Whereas bond is like kind of has that similar connection with him, but it's more of, it's not like a matriarch. It's more like they're in tune, almost like business owners in a way, like they, they do what they got to do to get the job done in a way. And like, they kind of shared that bond. Like they would go, we've seen bond do that exact same thing in the previous two movies, you know, like go, go kind of against the rules or do things that are kind of like, uh, I don't know if, if I would have done that, and M's the same way, you know, we kind of see where he kind of learned that from her. So I don't really fault her for being that way. And, uh, you know, obviously Bond is kind of, how did you guys take it whenever Bond at the beginning of the movie was kind of like getting onto her? Do you think that, that, that kind of resentment was going to grow into something to where Silva could have used that against him? Or do you think Bond kind of had his integrity throughout the entire thing? That's an interesting question. Are, are you talking about when he kind of appears in, I guess that's her apartment. And he's, yeah. And he's, he's like, and he's, yes. you know, she, yeah. he's like, yeah, take she, the bloody shot, you know, like that whole part. Yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, that, yeah. that was what triggered to me. I mean, I was thinking like, are they, are they trying to kind of hint at it? Because a cool, a baller move would have been to like show him kind of say that and then continue to kind of make those aggressive decisions is like what he did in Casino Royale, in my opinion. Go ahead, Caleb. I think that this movie kind of really almost highlights uh, Bond's like nationalism or patriotism for yes. Britain more so than any other Bond movie that I can imagine. Because even if you go to that like psychological test that he has, the only question that he gets right in that entire psychological evaluation is when they he's they ask him country and he says England immediately. Immediate. I think that's kind of the whole thing. And then like um Silva goes through the whole thing of trying to like kind of get him to his side. And Bond has kind of reason to, you know, be on his side because in a sense, yeah, M has kind of treated him badly and all of this different stuff. But I think that not only is Bond loyal to M for, you know, some reason, but I think more so than anything, he's loyal to England. And that's kind of what's his, what's his driving motivation in this movie more than anything. Which yeah, is kind I think of interesting. That's what, that's what pulled him out of, again, the, the scene where he shows up in her apartment, he's bearded, he's, he, he'd been disappeared for three or four months because, you know, he was, I don't even know where he was on that island going Yeah, that was my biggest question. Like, you fell in a... Uh... Like, uh, it, I mean, where, where even was he, you know, in that first like chase scene? I'm like, where were you? And how did you end up in Brazil or something? Like, yeah, where was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, um, you, Caleb is right that what, what we see in this movie is you do see the, the, the higher calling, I guess, of bond is, you know, his loyalty to something that he views bigger than himself, uh, queen and country, I guess you could say. 
And, uh, and, and that, that questionnaire, that psychology review that he has during that test is, is pivotal because you're right, Caleb, he immediately responds uh, to that, that one question. And that is the reason that, that he's different than Silva is because he, that's not a, he doesn't personalize that, that, that loyalty. He's loyal to something bigger than one person. Silva is not, you know, he personalizes everything and that's why they take very different paths, even though they have very similar experiences. Hey, thanks so much for showing up. If this is your first time here, I would really appreciate it if you consider subscribing. It would seriously mean a lot. A fun fact for you, many YouTubers actually get most of their numbers from people who are not subscribed. So if you enjoy my personality, if you enjoy the content you've seen here, consider subscribing. I would seriously, seriously appreciate it. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was looking for just in terms of like engagement, you know, on that question was like, because to me, I, I we, we run into this thing with like modern cinema and modern storytelling where, you know, and I, I mean, I wish we would have had Ethan on the show because this is something that he harps on all the time where um, you never really realize like who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. You can kind of find rationale like with each each party you know star wars is a big one like you can find kind of that gray area with both sides you can kind of see where people are coming from from both sides you know a little bit um i love how in this movie they present that same idea but bond is unfaltering like he is that he is the guy you know like he is the good guy even though those those gray moments or those dark moments are presented to him and that it's inherently in his character. We've seen him be that way before. It's like, oh, yeah, that would totally make sense for Bond to go off the deep end. We've seen him be a complete jackass the past two movies. You know what I mean? Like, in some instances. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of really cool, like, building, you know, like just character building for Bond. And I think... For me, I love that relationship with with Bond and with Silva, and just how they set that set up just the classic good guy bad thing, good guy bad guy thing. And even though you can kind of see where Silva is coming from, it's like, yeah, but you're a really bad guy still. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, Silva's a great bad guy. Uh, favorite? We have like favorite moments in this movie. We kind of talked about you know Bond's Bond's uh, you know bloom, so to speak, into this awesome character for this awesome movie. Um, what are some of our favorite moments of this movie? Go ahead, anyone. Man, there's there's a lot. Go ahead, guy. Oh yeah, guy, you're muted too. Guy, you're muted. <laughs> my, my dog was barking in the background, so I thought I'd you know spare you that. Um, my, I, I think the most. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's my favorite scene, but I think probably the most powerful scene in the entire movie. You've already mentioned, Gabe, and that is the moment where Silva is in the containment box. M walks in and he, he pulls the, the prosthetic out of his mouth and, you know, refers to her as mother. Um, a scene like that up to that point had, had never existed in any James Bond movie. It was serious. It was, you know, multi-layered. It was guttural. It was like, whoa, it was shocking. You know, because Bond, the, the cinematic Bond has always had this kind of lighthearted, fun, you know, tongue in cheek kind of feel. That was like a, a serious, dramatic uh, scene. And you're like, whoa, OK, I get why Silva hates this lady so much um, with, with that scene. So I, I think I've never seen a scene like that in any Bond film ever. And so to me, that's that's the most memorable scene in the entire movie. Yeah, and I was kind of looking at the um, writers, and you know, the director is uh, Sam Mendes. Um, but it's interesting how the the writing crew <clears throat> stayed consistent pretty much through all these through all these movies. Mm -hmm. um, looks like they added one other guy, one new guy. I think his name is John Logan to to write. But Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, they worked on all the Bond movies, um, all the Daniel okay. Craig Bond movies, and Sam okay. Mendes. It's kind of known for more serious direction. So, uh, 1917, um, Road to Perdition, uh, Revolutionary Road. Um, he's, he's known for, I mean, some of his bigger titles are known for being super duper dramatic. So even though you can tell that scene is kind of CGI'd, that's a super duper, just, it, yeah. you, you nailed it best, like super powerful and haunting scene. 
And yeah, it, has, it just has a completely different feel to it. Um, again, I it, that scene does not exist in any of the previous movies anywhere, all the way back to Connery. Yeah, um, it's almost Nolan-esque in a way, you know, yeah. um, just in terms of like, I'll never forget that scene. You know what I mean? I'll never forget that moment and just how he kind of maniacally chuckles after they've left the room. He puts his prosthetic back in and he starts chuckling because he knows what's about to come and he knows that that image is going to be left with them at least for a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just super duper cool moment. Caleb, you got something for favorite moments? Yeah, I'll, I'll just mention two and they both are very Sylvia based. Um, first is immediately after the scene we've talked about where he makes his escape and breaks into the... Uh, hearing um that whole sequence is just really really cool and just shows how much smarter kind of sylvia is than anyone how he's able to trick q into you know basically hacking the system and that leads to his escape and all of that is just really really cool and really tense the whole time the scene in the subway and the confusion with the police officers and um bond jumping onto the subway like all of that is just really good and then it ends with a really good like you know gunfight in the um in the like chamber or the hearing or whatever and it's just really tense all the way through that and you still have bond cracking jokes and quips throughout it too which just it, it's really really good and it's some of daniel craig at his best um because he really feels like bond in that scene and then the other scene i'll notice too is before right before silva gets captured and after he's had his whole spiel with bond that whole um with the dueling pistols and the lady in the shot glass. That whole scene is really tense, and it does a good job of just showing how maniacal Silva is. Because um, you get tastes of it without ever really seeing him on screen. Um, with you know him bombing, you know the uh, with him bombing I six, and with you know kind of the exposition with the girl and how she's basically been taken captive by him and all this stuff. But actually seeing him and seeing how maniacal he is, and then seeing him get caught, it's. It's really good. It's a really good like villain scene. It almost reminds me of like uh, almost like in Goldfinger when where you have Bond on the table with the laser and all of that. It's just a really good like highlighted villain scene where it's just like the villain and Bond and some like tense situation and they're by themselves. And I feel like every Bond villain needs to have one of those scenes. And this one, it was executed really, really well in this one, even though it's a pretty short, but it's very memorable and yeah, it's just really, really good. And I mean, there's a lot of other. I mean, I think just about every part of this movie is super memorable, and that's what what makes it a really great movie. Yeah, and and, and that's that's the point is that there are so many good scenes. I love the entire Macau scene. You know, the casino scene when he's on that incredible sailboat. You know, going into the abandoned city that that Caleb just talked about. I mean, the underground MI6. Uh, you know, when MI6 gets gets blown up. I mean, there are so many uh, just cool scenes in this movie. And then, of course, the, 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 the scene the the climax is awesome. at Skyfall at the end of the movie. Yeah. You know, this just up in Scotland. I mean, this incredible uh, landscape. I, that's I, Maybe that's what made this movie so special is that the cinematography and the scene choice was just – it never got weak. It was strong throughout. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to go back to Caleb for a second and just in kind of wrapping up our Silva discussion um, – I immediately, I remember thinking like, this guy reminds me of the Joker. Like when we first see him on that island with the shot glasses and he's playing that weird music, you can see he's pretty charismatic and he's uh, almost like, you know, James Bond, you know, kind of cracking these, not jokes, but he just has an air about him, you know, it's just very unique and just kind of seeing the way he treats uh, the situation, you know, Bond intentionally, I think he intentionally misses, he kills that girl, uh, you know, and then Silva kills that girl, but I think for me, I remember thinking whenever this movie came out, like, oh, that reminds me of something like the, you know, the way the Joker would act potentially not saying they're expressly related or anything, but I think it's just whenever some, whenever that would be called to mind, even by someone at that age, you know, me being 18 at the time or whatever, whenever this movie came out, um, I think that's that can be powerful, you know, because the Joker is like such a big character as well. It's nice to see kind of a, a darker, you know, arguably the darkest villain in the James Bond or at least the Daniel Craig movies. Um, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about just some of the set pieces. Like, obviously, this movie's well shot. It's gorgeous. And it kind of pays homage to the Bonds of old, where it seems like we went to a million places in one movie. 
And uh, this isn't a criticism. It's more of a question. And this is kind of what I was kind of touching on whenever I said, like, I don't know how well parts of this have aged. I don't know if it was just me. But going to Hong, you know, Hong Kong or wherever that casino was or, you know, wherever they were. I don't know if it was Hong Kong, but it was like, you know, that it looked. Macau. Yeah, yeah Macau. Macau. Yeah, exactly. Um, did the, do we need to have that scene? Could we have had the same character show up in a different way without having to, like, move to so many different places in such a short span of time? And then, obviously, you know, I know the Bond girl thing is kind of a staple of cinema at this point. But, I mean, she's... I just felt nothing when she died. I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> you know? Um, what do you think? I, I think... And Caleb mentioned this earlier. Um, I, I think the what that scene does, and including her in it, is it does um, highlight a facet of Silva and how maniacal he is. Uh, for instance, in that scene where they bring out the dueling pistols, you remember what he said when he walked up to her, he said, whatever her name was, and maybe he called her darling, I don't remember. He said, you know, darling, your lovers are here. So it was this just, you know, she was a piece of property. Um, he, he wasn't even mad that Bond um, hooked up with his girlfriend. You know, she was just a possession. And, and it spoke to uh, him as a sociopath uh, just nut, not so guy. And, uh, so I, I do think that that, that helps introduce that, that part of his personality that, that you might not have seen had the scene not existed. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Cause, uh, she has, I mean, her story is very interesting in, in itself is that, you know, she was in a terrible situation. She was basically in a child sex like house in China as like a 12 year old. And then she, you know, um, Silva probably took her out of there at a very, very young age. And probably the only life that she's really known has been with this guy. And it's been terrible to this point to where she's scared for her life. And what makes Silva so maniacal is that she's probably been with him for years and years. And he feels absolutely nothing about killing her like that. And like this super just like quick like just terrible, terrible way. And it just makes him that much worse. And it makes you feel really terrible for her because it's just super, super sucky because she was this close to getting out after probably just years and years and years, an entire life of abuse. And she was so close to getting out and she ends up dead. And it just makes it that much uh, terrible. But it's one of those things that it takes a few viewings to get that because it's, just a few lines of dialogue that add that much weight to it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Good points all around. And, um, <clears throat> I have to ask, was the, uh, do you just kind of prime yourself or prep yourself for aggressive scene changes and aggressive, uh, you know, like set piece changes whenever you're viewing a bond movie or, okay, let's put this in any other action movie. Does this still work? Or do you think we would be, do you think we would be saying like, Oh, that reminds me of James Bond the way they did that. Go ahead, Caleb. I'll, I mean, I'll compare it to something. I think it can definitely work because we've gotten used to it with Star Wars, where Star Wars does these huge just swipes and wipes. Um, and that's how they change scenes and go from planet to planet. So I don't see why we can't go from location to location in a Bond movie. And especially when the locations are all as absolutely stunning and beautiful and different as they all are in this movie. Well said. And, and, and the thing, and the thing, I think to keep in mind too, um, we got to remember what genre we're dealing with here. The the modern espionage thriller is about taking the reader or the viewer to places they've never been before, maybe places they've never seen before, and and you know it's this exotic, um, globe trotting, uh, you know, spy that does all these incredible. Th it's just you know, it's it's the shtick of of the espionage genre and. Uh, and this movie definitely delivered on that. I mean, you were jumping all over the place. It was not as hard to keep up with as a Star Wars movie where you don't even know what solar system or whatever you're in. I mean, it, those are hard to keep up with sometimes. Yeah, well said. Good points all around. You know, sometimes I, I know the answer to these questions. and I just present them just to hear you guys say them because that, that's good podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you do it. You let your you let your guests. Thank you. No one's ever told me good job. Thank you so much. <laughs> um. One one thing I, I've always not struggled with this movie. I love this movie. For any vibes, there's like, does Gabe like this movie? Does he dislike it? I love this movie. Like I it's one of my favorite it's it probably is my favorite Bond movie. Um 
at least for Daniel Craig. And I think probably Casino Royale is probably my f- actual favorite. And then Skyfall probably is right under it. Or probably tied. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. All these movies are so good. One thing that I, I – I, I, it's a double-edged sword because I like that they introduced Bonds. They gave Bond kind of a backstory, and I was hoping Guy could kind of elaborate on this orphanage, right, this Skyfall area. And I want to talk about the relevance of that to this movie. Um, had this ever been done before, you know, where they kind of give him a backstory? So there has been mention uh, in the movies and I believe the books too that he is an orphan. I don't recall, though, cinematically, Skyfall does not exist. Literature-wise, I don't recall coming across that. I, I think that's that's you know just a, something that these writers and producers came up with. Uh, but it, but it, it's very in line with his history. Yeah, and I love that. I, I love you know when he gets when he goes to Skyfall and he sees uh, Kincaid, the guy that you know he knew from his childhood, and the only gun they kept was his dad's hunting rifle, even though it was a shotgun, not a rifle, but you know, I'm not picking out on that, but he, he hands it to Bond and Bond flips it over and it says AB on it. And I'll be honest with you. I don't remember what his dad's first name was. I don't, I don't remember what the A stands for, but it, you know, those little kind of details are just, I, for me, kind of super cool. And there is no movie um, that I recall that really digs into any degree his backstory. So, so Skyfall is unique in that. I mean, it's the name of the movie, you know, his, his childhood home. So I think that was kind of a major um, purpose of this. And, and, and Gabe, you know, you being the music guy, we haven't talked about uh, Adele, you know, singing the, uh, the, the song for this movie. If you listen to the lyrics of that, it is all about kind of going back to the beginning, starting at the beginning uh, at Skyfall. And uh, it was, I think that was beautifully done by her. Uh, to really drive home kind of the main point of the movie. Well, yeah. Skyfall, you know, speaking to a fall of something, it's, it's reversed because when he goes back to Skyfall, that's him kind of reemerging as 007, you know, over the past hour and a half hour, 45, it's him kind of coming back to that moment. Cause obviously they have that huge shootout right inside the house. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. How, whenever he's in the area that, you know, the movie is named after he kind of comes back to his senses and he's kind of like, you know, healed up and, you know, it's like, Oh, that's the double Oh seven that we kind of know and love, you know, um, Caleb, you look like you want to say something, go, go for it. Um, no, well, sure. <laughs> I was just thinking, um, there, when I was a teenager or maybe like 12 or 13, there was a series of young adult books that were written. I can't remember who wrote them, but they were all, um, like, James Bond as a teenager. And that was like the most backstory I had ever heard for Bond. And it he's an orphan. I think his dad's name was Andrew. And but it was all about him like basically he got sent off to like a uh boarding school and it was all these different adventures he had as a teenager doing James Bond stuff as a teenager. But it was kind of cool to see like even just kind of in the mythos like of him that he was an orphan and you're getting more of this backstory and it's oh this is the actual backstory this is where he grew up and this is all of this different stuff and getting to see that was all just so incredible and cool and i just love kind of bond's almost lack of emotion toward it all like he just hates it so much that he has to go back to that place because you can tell this is one of those things that he's had to cut himself off emotionally from it because it's something that had left him so emotionally scarred as a kid i i just love it so much even when he just tosses his dad's gun so he can grab one of uh the guy's assault rifles um it's just he hates it so much but he's doing it because he absolutely has to he doesn't have any other like option of other than going back to that place. Yeah, he's almost robotic in, in yep. the way he deals with certain things. Like, you know, any normal person would be so hung up on the nostalgia of going back to their childhood home, but he, it's almost like he just doesn't give a rip about any of it. So he almost, yeah, like you said, just kind of like, look, you know, it turns him off. So it's really bizarre. But, and then the other part about his backstory which I think is interesting. I've never read anything or heard anything that speaks to this, but it was a kind of a good launching point um, into Spectre. Yep. Because yep. Uh, Blofeld in the next movie 
you know, his, his dad apparently kind of raised Bond, uh, you know, after he was orphaned. So it was kind of an interesting step, uh, stepping stone into Spectre and, and why there was such a conflict with the, the villain of the next movie. And see, that's so funny. I saw Spectre one time and I remember not liking it. So it's going to be interesting to kind of go back to that and revisiting that and kind of like refreshing myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, man, we're, this is a great convo. We're getting a lot of good points out of this. There's so much meat in this movie and it's just, it's so good. You know, I, I feel like the ending is triumphant, you know, it's deeply, you know, everything, there's so many like symbolic things in this movie and just nods to show, you know, kind of showing us what's happening without having to tell us exactly what's happening. It's like, it's obvious bond has lost his touch. You know, whenever M says, uh, or you know, whoever that guy's name is, he's like, I can't, he's like, I didn't know that bond passed the test since M's like, he didn't, you know, um, it's just kind of giving us that idea of Bond can do whatever he wants. He's James Bond. He's 007. Like, you do not tell 007 no. It's like, you're going to try and cancel 007? No, it ain't happening, you know. Um, I just, I love, I, I love this movie. So, so there, there were several things, too, um, and I'm kind of digressing here. Digress away. That, well, that were introduced in this movie that um, were just incredible. And it all has to do with people. So Money Penny was introduced in this movie. Q, the new Q was introduced in this movie. And uh oh, I just went blank. Um, what's the guy's name? The, he becomes M in the next movie. Uh, Mallory. Mallory. Uh, yeah. And all three of those people are just awesome. I mean, you know, the whole interaction between Bond and Q in the museum is is brilliant. You know, I I can do mole damage in my pajamas before my cup of Earl Grey than you can an entire year in the field. You know, that whole dialogue, it's just, it's incredible. It's classic Bond, but it's not. Because here's this kid with spots, as Bond says, that's now his technical support. Uh, so that's brilliant. Um, Money Penny, absolutely brilliant. Uh, the way that she's introduced. And, and I'll never forget, maybe my most memorable, next to Silva pulling out that thing out of his face, my next most memorable scene of this movie was at the end, I remember thinking seconds before she says it, I said, I bet that's Money Penny. And at the very end of the movie, she introduces herself as, as Money Penny. Um, and then uh, I, I'll, before I leave Money Penny, one final thing, I will say, you know, there was always that kind of um, provocative romantic play between Bond and Money Penny cinematically, going back, you know, to Connery times. But that shaving scene where Money Penny is shaving Bond, that's the most—I don't like to use this term necessarily. It's the most erotic Money Penny Bond scene in all of, of Bond history. It never goes that far, you know. She's Guy, proud. mother of God, this is a family-friendly show. No. What I mean, no, I mean, come on, I mean, it is what it is. And so, but that that scene is unique. I, I, again, I've never seen that before. And then, okay, Money Penny gone. Um, Mallory. Then the last thing I'll say is that, you know, he becomes the next M. Mallory is a nod back to the classic M's of Connery, um, Lazenby, and, and more. You know, these kind of dry, very British men uh, and just the way that they approach things. And so uh, even when you, and, and, and you, you have to watch the old movies to understand this, at the very end of, of Skyfall, when he walks in, Mallory gives him his next assignment little things like the door that he walks through did you notice it has this leather padding on each side of the door that leather padding is a sound uh, deadening material that was on all the doors of the old bond movies you didn't see it for a long not in the uh, judy dench m period you never saw it but when mallory comes back all of a sudden you see this old-fashioned antique leather encased door because that's the way they did it in the old movies. So it's a super cool nod back to the old times. That's really cool. And I think there's a ton of, you know, there's a ton of nods to those things that, you know, we're us younger guys probably aren't going to pick up on, but we might, I don't know that like Caleb mentioned, you know, the 50th anniversary of bond, like 
it's kind of given it's like they they wrapped up a present for you you know like if you're a, a diehard james bond fan it's like they they personally wrapped a present for you to where i give you all these little like nuggets of like oh yeah remember remember these you know whenever this happened remember you know remember this and all these different callbacks and stuff and introductions and it, they could have ended they could have very easily ended it there but th- like you said they kind of use this as a, in some ways as a springboard for the the next movie um so I'm I'm de- I'm definitely looking forward to watching Spectre again because I only watched it one time. So um, I don't remember what happens in it. Isn't Batista in that one? Give it a chance. Yes. Give it because when I went back and looked, yeah, Batista is in that. Yeah, and I don't. I, that's like the low point of the movie. Hmm. But give it a chance because when I went back and watched Quantum of Solace again with an open mind, I enjoyed it a whole lot more because I that's one I had walked away from for many years. But yeah. yeah, give Spectre a chance. Yeah, totally. Uh, gentlemen, let's, uh, let's kind of move this along into maybe our final thoughts about this movie. Um, definitely don't want to hamper any excitement or anything, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of running out of things to talk about, I think. So what's kind of our final thoughts about this movie? Um, well, I, again, love it. I think I'm just going to mention two more scenes real quick that we haven't really touched on. The opener is incredible. It's beautifully choreographed. It's really good. The only thing that kind of knocks it is I don't enjoy Money Penny and M going back and forth over the uh, oh, over the uh, like earpiece or whatever, talking about Volkswagen Beetles and stuff. But other than that, it's incredible. I cannot get the image of Bond dropping in off of that excavator oh, wow. into the train cart. It is so cool, and him doing his thing with his cuff and like it's it's awesome. It's just awesome the other scene um when he's in um shanghai and he's after uh the uh assassin and there's like a solid like probably at least five minutes where there's not like a word of spoken dialogue of it's just like music and beautiful colors and a bond following this guy and you have like that entire um shot where he's uh um, on the floor and there's all that glass and you can't really tell what's going on. And I love the fact that like uh, the assassin knows the bond is there, but he also knows that he can't miss his target. So he's almost having to like prioritize, okay, I have to get my target first and then I'll deal with bond and bonds trying to sneak up on him. It's, it's so good. And I just love any time that a movie can do a sequence like that, where it's minutes on end without any spoken dialogue and it works and it's just visually like, stunning it's just so good it's so memorable and yeah it's fantastic well said those are like really good moments and yeah the the cufflink scene i remember them using that in the uh in the marketing for this movie and being like he's so freaking dope like that's just so good it it reminds me of in uh what is it mission impossible fallout where uh, henry cavill cocks his fist yeah. in the bathroom fight it's it's like that it's just like one of those it's just like one of those little like really cool motions that just like it sticks in your mind for whatever weird reason and like his suit is perfect like mm-hmm. there's like no sign that he's been running around he's not sweaty like he's 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 like in bond mode he's like that whatever like i'm james bond like you're not going to you know you're not going to mess with me mm-hmm. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. go, go ahead, guy. You know, it's interesting that uh, the more you talk about this, there's not very many weak scenes in this movie. I mean, the more you talk about it, the more you're like, oh, yeah, that was an awesome scene. Oh, yeah, that one, too. Oh, man, that was a killer scene. And that's just the the why this movie is so incredible. Um, I, I guess just a few things. Uh, you know, I, I made a couple notes when I watched it. Um, one thing, I'm a Land Rover fan, as you guys know. You know, I love Land Rovers. And this this was the um, sort of the kickoff of the um, relationship between the modern uh, Bond franchise and Land Rover, Jaguar, and Range Rover, um, and you know all these British brands. And so, starting with this movie, and that's why you see so many of them littered throughout the movies thereafter. Um, along that note, I want to ask you guys a question. You're you're movie fans. The opening scene. When uh, we don't know she's Money Penny yet, but Money Penny and Bond are driving around in the Land Rover truck, there's no headrests in this in the on the seats of the cars. And if you notice, in a lot of movies, when they're filming within cars, they take the headrests out. You know why? I have no idea. I'm, I'm, that's a question. It must improve the cinematography or something. I, there must uh, be yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it would just make the car, inside of the car maybe look bigger. 
because it just would improve the visibility like inside right. of the car. Maybe yeah. that's why it just doesn't look as cramped, I guess. I thought, I thought maybe it's because it's behind their head and it, it thus it, it puts more focus on their face. And so you don't mm. have this thing, right? But I, I don't know. I just, Again, just super random point. I don't know why. Yeah, that. I mean, if it were like that would make sense is you don't want anything to obstruct the view of your star. So, you know, Maybe. I mean, if I was if I was filming it, that's probably what I would do is like, oh, yeah, this doesn't look very good. Like would give you kind of more range to kind of move their head anyway, because, I mean, your headdress like it's pretty confining anyways. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think Caleb's kind of right just ex for aesthetics like. Yeah. That, that's that's what I would assume and they would why why they would take them out. But notice that when you watch movies, look you'll notice that they typically take the headrests out of cars and it looks weird, but yeah. there so there's clearly a reason for it. But anyway, um I love the the uh dual sport race atop the bazaar in Istanbul with the um what is that famous mosque in the background in Istanbul? Uh, I mean it's just it's so bond, it's so crazy. Who would race motorcycles on top of the Istanbul bazaar? Classic Bond scene. Uh, it's just it's just incredible. Um, and I'm trying to think of maybe some other scenes that jumped out at me. There were so many, but um, I mean, that's what makes this movie great is just it's one after another of just memorable top notch scenes. There's just not many movies like that. Yeah, it's it. This movie is special. And, you know, for whatever we're oh, going to say hey, about. Oh, 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 go, oh, go for it. I want to mention this. The scene at the end of Shanghai where he, you know, Patrice drops to the ground, the windows exploded out and Bond, and I cannot remember her name, um, across, you know, they're, they're in skyscrapers staring at each other. I mean, come on, how cool is that? Just the, the connection, it's just, you just don't see that. I like even like subtlety, like that moment whenever he's chasing the assassin, you know, and, you know, he's trying to get like the information out of the guy and, you can kind of tell that they make it very apparent that he's struggling to kind of get back in the swing of things. And he's like, who, where's the list? You know, he like drops the guy and stuff like that. I mean, another perfect exa example of like showing, like they just showed you so much in this movie. They didn't have to beat you over the head with anything. Like they showed you so many things and there's so many little details that could just totally like go over your head. Like if you're not paying attention, go ahead, Caleb. Yeah, this movie does it a couple of times. It doesn't in the opener where instead of showing you action, it leaves you the remnants of action. Like when Bond goes into that room and you can see that there's been a total like gunfight and but you get the sense of it. You can tell you can almost visualize like what just happened in that room just moments before. And it's just from seeing the aftermath. And you also get that in that scene where Bond is chasing the assassin. But it, it works really, really well. And it just gives you such a good vibe. And yeah, this this movie does such a good like job of like showing you stuff and not necessarily telling you it and or not beating you over the head uh, with it. Like you said, it, it it is just it's really perfect in that regard. Yeah, it's this is a really good movie. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of tease, like, I don't know if this is going to age well. There are a handful of CGI moments that I don't think are going to age well, but I don't think that inherently will ever make this movie a bad movie. I mean, we watch movies from the olden times, you know, the 70s and 80s all the time that had no CGI whatsoever. You know, like, I mean, we were talking about Dune a little bit ago, you know, the old Dune movie, how they're, they're um, you know, the shields around them were like squares, like cubes, <laughs> you know, on their bodies. You couldn't even tell it was real people that were fighting and stuff, so... I think that this movie is going to be really, really interesting to watch in another 10 years even. So yeah, I think it'll age well. I, yeah, I really do. Yeah, I do. I do too. So, well, gentlemen, that, uh, that's another bond episode in, in, uh, in the, uh, repertoire. Uh, it's been a lot of fun guy. I, I hope you continue to enjoy yourself because I got a big idea for this podcast, this particular show in general, that I'm going to talk to you guys as soon as we're off mic uh, or at least off recording. So before, I mean, we're still on mic, but you know, whenever we're not rolling, um, I have to ask, you know, in true wannabe fashion, we usually put a number on these things. If you had to put a number on this, uh, you know, taking all aspects of your, your personal opinion, as well as trying to, to view the, uh, the object of the movie, right? Did, did this movie execute its, its purpose for, you know, it, did it execute its vision? If you had to put a number on it, what would you give it? Caleb, what what what's your number? Um, Skyfall is in probably my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And 
I think, I mean, after discussing it, it's really hard for me to knock anything off of it. So I'm giving it a very rare 10. Caleb never gives things 10s. That's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. That's a big deal. If I was a good producer, I would put applause right in there because it's deserving of it. Um, Guy, what would uh, what would you put on this bad boy? So, you know, we live in an imperfect world. There, the perfection doesn't exist in this fleshy world we live in. So um, on a scale of, out of 10, you know, there has to be that, that perfect standard, quote unquote, that you compare everything else to. I think Skyfall might be that perfect standard because here's the thing is to criticize this movie. You got to dig deep. I mean, you really got to dig deep to find something that really sucks about this movie because it's just not there. So I, I I am going to agree with my, my mature and very insightful nephew, Caleb, that uh, this is a 10 out of 10. Wow. Uh, Two tens. I have to sneeze. Was that a sneeze? What was that? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Two tens, ladies and gentlemen. Two tens. My goodness, shots fired. Boom, boom, boom. Um, Well, good thing I'm the wannabe critic. Uh, There's not much I can knock for this movie, and I agree with both of you. It's hard to find things. A big thing that comes down to like a 10 for me is re- rewatchability and like how many times I'm going to like sit down to like actually watch this. Um, so I don't know the next time I'm going to watch this. I don't know if this would be my first choice to watch it. I think it is the most polished film out of all of them. Um, so, you know, at least so far, I obviously I haven't gone to no time to die. And uh, to me, you know, I don't think a 10 out of 10 is is necessarily perfect. I think it's near perfect. And to me, a nine out of 10 is just below near perfect. So I think for me, it comes down to that thing of like, in this instance, it's like, yeah, I never watched this movie. Does that mean I can it's give funny. it a nine out of 10? Go ahead, Caleb. It's funny that like to hear you say that, because I think this movie is might easily be the most rewatchable bond movie. Like, just in the fact that it stands alone, it's really well paced. There's action throughout of it. It's beautiful. So much and going on. Yeah, it's. I I can't think of another Bond movie that's more rewatchable than this one. I think that it's almost like Skyfall and Casino Royale for me are kind of like neck and neck in a lot of ways because, again, like we kind of see like this young double O agent kind of coming up. In, in the world, you know, and kind of like guns ablazing, whatever. And there's just so many like amazing cinematic moments in that movie as well. I think I gave that a nine as well. Um, and I don't know, for me, I think this is much more of a psychological movie. For me, it boils down to I just didn't really want this. This is gonna sound this is gonna be like sacrilegious to Bond fans, I think. I think it was just, it boils down to a thing of I just I felt like we we're moving all over the place. And it was just kind of hard for me to keep up with everything that was happening and like making everything matter. Like for instance, the bond girl. And you know, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not, you know, I don't see, I didn't grow up watching all of the bond, the original bond movies. I've only seen a handful of them, you know? So maybe it didn't matter as much to me. And I know you guys are way more, way more versed in bond lore than me. So it's like, Oh yeah. Like where we have, you know, this is, this is to be expected that this would happen. So, but I think I'm going to stick with a nine. I think this movie, I think a, a nine is still amazing. Like nine is amazing. 10 is like near perfect for me. This movie is a nine. So, I mean, I don't know, Caleb, that was an awful lot of justification to give a movie. a it, nine. So it I mean, really I, I'm just saying a nine <laughs> out of 10. I mean, Caleb's like, you know, this is, this is the most rewatchable. I'm like, uh, I would nine ra- out of 10 is a great score. I, I would rather, I would rather watch Casino Royale. Honestly, I think. Um, it would depend, it would depend what kind of mood I'm in, you know, like they're, they're pretty, they're pretty close. Casino's a, I mean, it is an incredible it, movie. It's just, it's a much simpler plot and a, a very different plot. Than, and my thing, um, than and, and my thing with Casino Royale, and we talked about this is that, and what makes it to me a little bit of a less rewatchable movie, even though it's a great movie is that it has a fourth act. Like, and if you're not prepared for that. And like, if you're justifying that, it's so out of the norm that it makes it just a little bit less rewatchable and because the pacing is just a little bit different because it has an extra act that most movies don't have. 
Yeah, yeah I and go with that, that fourth act for that, sure. That is a good point, and, and I think from my perspective, it comes down to like I said, you know, like mixing all of your your personal opinions and you know the objectivity and stuff. I'm I'm looking at this as a common movie goer, right? A common moviegoer, I think, is going to be asking the question. If they don't know Bond lore, if they don't know Bond history at all, whenever we get to Skyfall and all that's happening, I think as a casual moviegoer, we might be asking this, ourselves the question, why does this matter? Like, I thought we were focused on Silva. Like, what does this have to do with anything? So I think yeah. as a, if you're like a hardcore Bond fan, yeah, like a 10 out of 10 makes total sense. But again, a 9 is a great score. Like, it's that's that's an amazing score. It's just not my – a 10 is I – can't, I can't – a 10 doesn't feel right personally for me. And, you know, I'm a big Batman fan. I said I don't think The Dark Knight's a 10 out of 10. So that's that's also saying something, too. So there you have it. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure as usual. Um, obviously, next month we will be tackling the next movie in the series, Spectre. Uh, I've only seen it one time. I don't remember enjoying it super great. But uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you guys and maybe having uh, a fourth member on for that show. So. Um, is there anything we need to know before we do our sign-offs? Let me give you a suggestion, uh, Gabe. Before you watch Spectre, you need to watch um, one of the old Bond movies that has a Blofeld has Blofeld in it. Um, I would suggest watch. You only live once. You only live twice? The volcano? <laughs> yeah, you only live twice. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly was, the one yeah. I was thinking, because that's probably <laughs> with the cats, and he's kind of diabolical. Watch You Only Live Twice. It's a Sean Connery movie. And Blowfield. Yeah, he turns Japanese. It's a, yeah, where he turns super bizarre. <laughs> anyway, um, watch that first, and that gives you a taste for Blofeld in the Bond um, mystique, the Bond world. And then watch Spectre. And, and Blofeld will make a whole lot more sense at that point. Okay. Well, I have some homework to do before our next uh, review, for sure. So mm-hmm. that, that'll be good. I think that, that will give – you know, context is always good. Extra context is always good. So. I would I would also suggest uh, watch the, uh, like, first five or ten minutes of um, uh, For Your Eyes Only, where Blofeld gets uh, dropped from a helicopter down a <laughs> uh, chimney stack. <laughs> Classic. It's pretty great. <laughs> okay. All right. It's got some good 70s music at the very beginning of the action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you stuck around this mo- this long, as usual, God bless you for doing so. We really appreciate it. We are pr- really appreciate your feedback as well. So make sure if you're listening on Apple, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there you listen to. They're like, oh, give us five stars. That'll keep us relevant. We obviously want to be relevant, but I'm not going to try and guilt you. As a listener, if you enjoy the show, that's enough for me. I'm not going to try and guilt you into giving us a five-star review if you don't actually think it's worth it. So any feedback whatsoever is is worth it to me. Um, so any review there. Uh, we're working on trying to get some polls and some questions down. If you're a Spotify listener, there where there's uh, an ability to ask questions now and you know kind of let us know how we're doing in that regard, which would also help us out. You can email us at thewannabecollective at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We have a nice new fancy uh, YouTube banner over on the Wannabe Collective that you can go check out. That shows all of our shows that we have. You can follow me on YouTube at the Wannabe Critic. I got another another banner that I'm super happy with. Shows all the stuff we have, and I'm just I'm loving the I'm loving the cre- the you know the content creation life. It's a it's a good time. We have a lot of projects going on, and I'm super duper happy. But uh, passing it to Caleb. Caleb, where can people find you, and what are you doing? Um, so you can find me at Chief NNY18. Um, also working on a couple of projects. I mentioned them on the last podcast, but uh, on YouTube, you can check out um, my channel. It's called Fantasy Tomorrow, where I'm talking about fantasy football stuff. And if you're not in fantasy football, but you still like sports, you can check out my other YouTube channel, which is called Pretty Smart Sports, where I'm talking about all sorts of different sports stuff. And I'm continuously adding more and more videos um, onto both of those, trying to build up a pretty good uh, like backlog a video, especially for the pretty smart sports stuff. We're talking about all sorts of different sports stuff. So, uh, yeah, definitely go check that out if you want to. Uh, still kind of a work in progress as always. But, yeah, having fun doing that. There you have it. And, of course, Guy Mace, uh, where can people find you? Uh, do we have any updates on your book? I mean, do we have anything to announce? Like, where can, do you want to be found? What's going on? I don't want to be found just yet, but uh, no, no updates on the book. We're still working on it. Uh, we're, we're putting it out to publishers. Hopefully one of them will on it so you know we'll we'll see maybe there'll be an update next time fire i'm super duper happy to hear that 
Ladies and gents, that's been another episode of Keeping It Real from uh, Wannabe Critic Productions featured on the Wannabe Collective, the podcast that you're listening to right now. So give us some love. Let us know how we're doing. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, gents, say goodbye. Adios. Adios. Well, once again, thank you so much for showing up today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, again, if this is your first time here, consider subscribing. I know that's the thing that all the YouTubers do. They're, everyone's asking to sub. The fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. And who knows? You might even see a video every now and then that you actually like or maybe interested in. Not only that, I do a bunch of stuff, so make sure you check all the information down in the description down below. We got podcasts, we got Let's Plays, we got all kinds of stuff for all kinds of fandoms. So make sure you check that out. I would seriously, seriously appreciate it, and I would love to see you around here more. I am Gabriel Fast. I will always be the wannabe critic. <laughs>